couldn't be religious and gay. It was impossible. I was being marketed as some sort of like teenage it girl. When a girl kissed me on my 18th birthday, a whole other world opened up to me. I was a minor nuisance. Eight Australians will tell you about the choices that have led them to unexpected places. These are some of the stories you will hear on Let Me Tell You, a podcast where real people tell incredible real stories. Look for Let Me Tell You and follow wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Eyes on Gilead Live, a little podcast dedicated to The Handmaid's Tale. There is a lot going on in this show, and we think it helps to talk it out at the end of every episode, and what the hell, we like to do it at the end of every season as well. I'm Fiona Williams, and I manage our online coverage of movies and TV here at SBS, even though we're not here at SBS today, (laughs) and I'm joined by several hundred of uh, my friends and resistors, and I think I saw an Aunt Lydia, uh, (laughs) for Eyes on Gilead Live. But I'm also joined by my colleagues and fellow resistors. Give them a hand as they each come out. Natalie Handley of SBS Voices. Sana Kadar of ABC Live. And Haiti Island of SBS On Demand. You don't own me. Day, please come in. Such an honor for these girls to be here, Mrs. Butler. Praise be to him and those who serve him. Praise be. Praise be. Praise be. Praise be. Praise be. <laughs> so, uh, we have just rewatched episode 13 of season 3 of The Handmaid's Tale, the finale. What do we think? Um, we've seen it before, obviously. Uh, yeah, and hits you in the guts just as much, I think. Uh, that, that final song, again, Mazzy Star, when that came on, listening even just backstage, such a punch in the guts, a you know, knock to the heart. So beautiful. Yeah. Anything new stand out for us? You can speak to what stood out for you originally as well, but what are some, what are some new things that stood out for you at the end of this one? Well, one thing I didn't mention, I think, in the podcast we did is that I really enjoyed the second time around. By the way, I cried all the way through it again. Um, but I really enjoyed when just how like June lost it. Like I think this whole season she's sort of been losing it, and she lost it again in this episode when she was sitting at the table, and she had the gun, and she knows that she had pulled it on that poor girl. Like when um, Joseph Lawrence called her an ice queen, you know, and yeah. she totally isn't. Like this was a really hard thing for her to do, and I appreciate that we saw the struggle of that. Mm-hmm. Good point. Heidi, was there anything fresh for you? Yes, you're looking very intently over there. <laughs> uh, you pointed out in the podcast the, the sound of the heartbeat throughout this episode, which I hadn't noticed when I watched it, but backstage just listening to the audio this time around, it was so obvious and it was really, it was actually a little bit nerve-wracking. <laughs> that was our heartbeat, <laughs> Thinking by the that way, I had to well. come out here and talk in front of you all very soon, having this heartbeat going, it was so anxiety-producing. <laughs> but... um. What I really loved about this final episode that I didn't mention in, in our last podcast was 
the flashback to June and Janine getting herded into the, the truck at the very beginning. And it reminded me how much those flashbacks from that transition point bring such a sense of urgency and prescience to the show that there haven't been really been much flashbacks from that period in this season. I think we had a lot of them last season. And it reminded me how intense they are and how much they make Gilead feel like it could be something that's just around the corner. And we haven't felt that for a while because Gilead's been settling and it's been getting a little more uh, set in this season. So I really liked that flashback. Yeah, I love how it it shows the change in June. Like at first she's sort of trying to make her way through tunnels and getting herded into cages. But, um, you know, by the end of the episode, she's the one leading people through... Not oh, yeah, there's a tunnel, isn't there? Um, yeah, and just, it's just she, you know, she's become the commander and the leader and whatnot. It, you know, in five years, five and a bit, I think we're up to. There was one new thing that stood out for me just at the end there in the Mazzy Star song that makes us all cry. The flashback of just after the Luke moment, the roundabout, and the roundabout's turning anti-clockwise to signal a flashback, and it's happy family times. And you know, I don't think we're ever going to get one of those again, but. I did not clock the anti-clockwise. That's, that's oh. good. Yeah, so good. <laughs> that's really good. Yeah. Observant. But that's Thank really you. depressing. So you oh, think, yeah. oh yeah. gosh. I think I just appreciated it. I just didn't think. You always like <laughs> frighten me with when you, just, you go to like really dark places Sorry. and I'm still <laughs> living in my optimistic world. We're not going to, oh my gosh. Oh, you're, know, you're, right. you're right, you're right. Sorry. All right. <laughs> Thanks, Fiona. Yeah, Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> there are drinks afterwards, by the way. Might have to just mention that. Um, so... You know, this is end of season three, wah-wah, I keep saying that, but we thought we'd do this one, touching on the finale moments you just saw, but character moments, I think, you know, looking at how the season has played out for our cast of characters, because I think all of them got kind of a new storyline this year. You know, Fred and Serena went their separate ways, and then they went their separate ways. Um, So obviously we'll start with June, because she's June. So... We we like to think, you know, the monologues are so um, so telling of how we're, what they're going to set up for each episode. But in preparation for this, we've gone back because we're like that. We've watched a few of the uh, other episodes throughout this season, and just the way those monologues they do tell you everything. <laughs> we need to be more observant of that. But there was a great one of June back in episode three with that watching monologue when Serena's going out into the water and Fred's watching. Mother, I think wherever you may be. Can you hear me? You wanted a women's culture. Well, now there is one. It isn't what you meant, but it exists. And here's what we do. We watch them. The men. We study them. We feed them. We please them. We can make them feel strong or weak. We know them that well. We know their worst nightmares. And with a bit of practice, that's what we'll become. Nightmares. One day, when we're ready, we're coming for you. Just wait. Um, and she did uh, and I love the way she's watched Lawrence really throughout this whole season to the extent that she started mimicking him 
you know, standing in formation at the end of, God, what episode? The last one, I guess, with Eleanor. 12? Yeah, 12. Yeah. Um, but then this one, when she actually copies his um, cadence, which I love, when she's telling him, you don't run your household anymore, mister. Uh, yeah, it just shows the extent to which she's been watching everything this season. I think the thing with June this season, and a lot of people have commented on it, is how unlikable she became. And a lot of people struggled, I think, middle part of the season when she was being rather unlikable and characters were telling her she was unlikable. But to me, it made sense because how noble can you continue to be and how wonderful can you continue to be five years into this hellhole that you've been thrust into? So I think while she fell out of favor a little bit with some people, it totally made sense for the story. To me, anyways. Yeah, I would actually agree with that as well. I quite liked when, like, Serena said to her, you were meant to be one of the, like, strong ones. And I thought, yeah, well, this is what this place does. Like, it is, it is that bad. It doesn't matter how strong you are mentally. It's just going to ruin you. So that's kind of what I liked about this season, really. It was her trying to figure everybody out and, and also trying to survive mentally herself. And it was a real struggle. And it was hard to watch sometimes. <laughs> right. I love that the the outcome of that whole process that she went through was going from being an increasingly selfish person in this world, only thinking about herself and how to survive and how to get her own daughter out to being selfless by the end um, in turning her focus onto the other children of Gilead and helping them get out when she couldn't help her own daughter. So that was that kind of wonderful arc of going from selfish to selfless. Mm. And was it season finale last year that – People had mixed emotions about, that's fine. Um, but remember that last shot of her popping the hood? And I think we commented, look, she, she looked like Star Wars character or like a Sith, you know, lord. Yeah. And, you know, I think that was the first sign of her becoming an anti-hero. She's, she's been heroic June. She's in, she's out. You know, what's our June doing? But you're saying, you know, like she did become unlikable this year because she had to and there, there was a body count and June was kind of responsible for a lot of that body count one of them inadvertently. Yeah, with the body count. There was a body count. How many How many were there? I should have added that up. But She'd counted off a few then. Five, I think. Yeah, yeah. five. With uh, Francis, that was one, the, uh, yeah. the poor Martha mm-hmm. that, that copped it, who was Hannah's Martha. Mm-hmm. With oh, the Matthew, ending, I want to say as well. Yeah, but with Francis, if June had not intervened then, Hannah would have been in that group because she was in the... Um, sorry. That's right. <laughs> I don't know what she does. <laughs> so she shot herself in the foot. I mean, we, we sort of knew that when Hannah got taken somewhere further away anyways. She, she sort of, her plan backfired. Yeah. But yeah, she could have been on the plane. It, I think it took Hannah being taken away for her to get to that point where she was willing to help others. So That's true. Fine. I don't think she would have been organising the plane if Hannah was still there. And also, like, Hannah has to be away because otherwise there's no reason for June to not be on the plane in some ways. Like, the reason that I'm okay with June still being in Gilead is because Hannah is still in Gilead and I agree with her that she can't leave without her daughter. Um, So it does, in that sense, make sense for a a season four to have Hannah not on that plane, alas. Yeah, I'm fine with it too because it gives us more of the show. (laughs) Just it would have all sort of wrapped up then, which (laughs) I'm not ready for. And uh, more on the watching stuff. Remember she did the recce as a Martha in, oh, God, what episode episode two? two, Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, you know, she was sort of getting a bit of a lay of the land and understanding more of the Martha's network. She met some Martha's who were most displeased about her um, plans. Mm. I wonder what happened to their plan. Yeah, that's right. What happened to the other Mayday yeah. Martha plan that was going on that things were going to clash with? We never saw that in the end. We yeah. never found out what was actually coming in on the plane. That's true. That was, the big, that was the big thing. They were bringing something in. Yeah. I what, think guns that? and bombs and, you know, 
And the militaristic side of things, with the way that's ending and the way her comrades come and lift her up and, and take her off in a very militaristic way, um, I love that. I, I think it's gripping for a fight, and I hope it is, and I think we all hope it is. Blessed be the fight was the um, tag of this season. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, no, she's sort of becoming a commander, and uh, now I think she's there. Class, becoming a commander within her own... Handmaids. Yeah, yeah. Well, I had hoped it would happen at the Washington <laughs> episode way back when, but mm-hmm. not so much. Provided that she is okay with that gunshot wound. Oh, yeah. Whatever, yeah. wherever, however bad that is. So, yeah, we don't know yet. Some people on Twitter, I think, were saying, was she shot in the womb? And I thought, I, I'm pretty sure she was shot in the side. Um, yeah, hip, I think. Somewhere else I heard shoulder, so who knows. Somewhere on the, this side of the body. <laughs> well, it, yeah, it wasn't... Like, she did live all night, so it can't have been that bad. (laughs) Still the optimist. (laughs) It's going to be fine. Lots a bit of internal bleeding. (laughs) How bad can it be? It did look very similar to the wound that Serena got in that flashback scene last season. It was interesting. Murmur, 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 yeah. Oh, my God. They're each other's mirrors more and more all the time. My thoughts with June is... Where the hell do you go from here? Like, you're in so much trouble <laughs> when, when you get discovered. How do you have any amnesty or safety? And the only thing I can think of is that they discover she's pregnant with Lawrence's child, and that means they can't kill her and hold her responsible. Ooh. No, 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 no. <laughs> That's popular. Lawrence's child. Yeah, Joseph Lawrence, remember yeah. when he had to rape no, her? she not. No. Uh, but, but how is she? I mean, with respect, no. I don't. I don't want her to like be pregnant again. But I'm just saying, how does she survive after pulling this off and being shot? Like, how does she get through the next season? And the only thing I can think of is, you know, she's pregnant, so they can't kill her. So she's now got some borrowed time, and by the end of that time, she'll have figured something else and gotten herself out of that. So how do you think she goes well, forward? Like, I guess that's what I said about. Um, right now, it can't be traced back to their house because they don't have a missing child. So I don't. I don't know whether that means she can get away with this. Or whether she goes into hiding somewhere. Like we, we never actually really – like maybe the other May Day element that we didn't actually see, do they, do they come into the picture now? Like, yeah, if she, if she didn't know. get stitched up and put a new dress on. <laughs> <laughs> Who's to know? Hey, presto. <laughs> Where to now, I think? Um, we might have a little focus on Ms. Joy. Serena, I know you don't want this. Please talk to me. We can talk if you like. You have to understand that seeing her changed everything for me. I know. Then what is there to talk about? Because seeing her changed you. It changed you. It didn't change this place. She deserves better. Our girl deserves better. And I know that you know that. Heidi, I know you've, uh, you've got some thoughts on Serena. Why don't you lead this one? So I continue to be the one that ends up defending Serena in this podcast. I don't know if I should be, but somehow I end up being that person. And she is the character in the show that does create the most conflicting feelings for me, and I, and I think for other people as well. And, you know, she's just such a, a complex character, and her relationship with June is so complex, I think. 
Um, in this season in particular, she goes through a big change and this season is, is all about showing how much all the characters in Gilead have been changed from their time before Gilead in a way that they're never going to be able to go back. And I think the change for Serena is almost the reverse of June's arc this season. We start the season with Serena having just done a couple of very selfless things. She's stood up for the girls of Gilead and and tried to petition for them to be able to learn to read, and she's had a finger lopped off for it, and she's made the ultimate sacrifice as a mother and let Nicole be taken away from her, and they're two very selfless things for this woman, and I think she very quickly regrets both of them. (laughs) And um, that change is solidified when she sees Nicole um, in the Toronto airport and quickly reverts back to being very selfish as, you know, the Serena we've known in the past. But I think motherhood has still changed her in a way that she wasn't uh, in in previous seasons. And so, yeah, there was this mirroring of this arc from selflessness to selfishness. But the big change is that while she was willing to make the sacrifice of letting Nicole go last season, this season she's willing to sacrifice Fred for Nicole (laughs) and... Um, for her own liberation from Gilead, which I think she's becoming increasingly disillusioned by. I think... I I question whether... I mean, I don't think her fundamental religious beliefs have necessarily changed, but I think she always thought that she would be exempt from the rules of Gilead, and it was a rude shock when they weren't. So um, she also wants to leave Gilead and is finally taking Tuelo up on his uh, treason and coconuts offer. Um, I think that offer's been rescinded now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I think the reason she's a conflicting character for me is because uh, there is a lot of humanity in her. I mean, she's at the start of the series, she's a woman undone and, and I do feel pity for her. And I really was there feeling for her when she held Nicole in the, in the airport in Toronto, I think because there was this promise that she might rebuild herself as a better person. And then when she doesn't in the second half of the season, that empathy kind of, slid away from me and was maybe maybe reassigned to Commander Lawrence or something. We can speak about that later. <laughs> but, you know, when she turned in Fred, I was still secretly cheering for her because that woman is, is, is also just leaving a horribly abusive relationship at that point, which can be a difficult thing. And as bad as Serena is, uh, Fred will always be a much worse person in my mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then, of course, when uh, she realises that she's traded all of this in for nothing because Nicole is taken away from her and her freedom is taken away from her, you know, I did at that point as well. So I am conflicted about her. <laughs> my, my current Serena status is a hater. <laughs> and it kind of, it kind of, yes, it kind of fluctuates, you know, depending on what she does. So, yeah, when she turned Fred in, I definitely cheered for that. I just still didn't love her. I was like, that's the least you could do. You're horrible. Um, <laughs> But, you know, throughout the season, when she has been really affected with, um, you know, her finger being chopped off, for example, you know, I can feel for her there. That's a horrible thing to have happen, despite the fact that, you know, she held June down while June was being raped. But, yeah, I've, I've never, I don't think I've quite been as conflicted as you, Haiti. I pretty much hate her, and that sort of slightly slides a little bit, depending on how she acts. <laughs> I'd say, like, for me, I think I have seen a change in her this year. Doesn't mean I like her anymore. And I did feel sorry for her. Like, you know, when, when she was upset that Nicole was being taken away from her, I actually felt really bad for her. And then I was angry at myself for feeling bad about it. And then I was angry at the show for making me feel bad. Like, it was just, it was very complex. Um, but, like, when she went to Canada last year, and I remember there was a scene where she was um, in, a, like, a hotel lobby and this little girl saw her 
and she said, are you a princess? And, like, Serena enjoyed that moment. She Like, she liked having a girl look up at her. Whereas this year when her and Fred travelled and they were staying at someone's house and there was a little girl there who also was looking at Serena in this fantastic way and I think this little girl wants to grow up to be a commander's wife and Serena didn't like that at all. She didn't really enjoy that and I think she realised that she doesn't want a girl to grow up to her life because she, she will still get beaten by her husband and she still might have her finger chopped off. That said, I think that clip that we just played says a lot about Serena in that motherhood really did change her, but it's exactly what June just said. It's like, it's changed you, but it hasn't changed this place, and she just can't see beyond herself, really. So that part hasn't changed. So I'm very much here for her war crime trial next year. (laughs) (laughs) Sexual crimes, not, not war crimes. She's exempt from that. That was the deal. Oh, that's right. You were paying attention. Um, <laughs> yeah, for me, like I've always had a bit of a complicated relationship with Serena as well. We, we went into this with the Canada episode, which I love, Natalie, in that podcast, by the way. You were not having it. Oh, <laughs> just like, yeah, that was quite fun. And having rewatched episode one again with the house burning down and her confession to Fred, it's exactly the same as her confession to him about turning him in. Yeah, the wordings are the same. And he's like, what did you do? And uh, yeah. And she says, you don't need to worry about me. Like she said that in episode one. Yeah. And again in episode 12, I think. Yeah. But he thought the trip This time he finally gets it. Like in episode one, he ignored her and didn't believe her. He still thought he was the man of the house. We're about to hear that grab. So hold your horses. It's coming up. (laughs) Should we go to it now? Well, do you want to do predictions for Serena? Yeah. So, I mean, I guess the other aspect about her is that, and I think I've said this before to some extent, is that June is an every woman character in the show, or at least she was when she came into Gilead a few years ago. But I think that there are also elements of the every woman in Serena and, and maybe the things that are universal about Serena are the things that we don't like to see reflected back at us. You know, the way that women keep other women down and encourage their own disempowerment by enabling powerful men around them and not speaking up for other women. You know, I think, and that, that is all universal and it is all in Serena and she is a bit of a a cautionary tale for now because there are conservative spokeswomen out there whose beliefs about religion and politics are not that dissimilar to Serena and she is believable as a real person in that way but the change that's happened in her this season is she sort of I see it as that she's stepped out from living in the shadow of men and allowing them to kind of create the power that she lives with. And she's let go of Fred, she's let go of Gilead and she's stepping out into the world on her own independently. So even though she's (laughs) now arrested, um, it's like June, isn't it? June for like, you know, realized Nick can't save her. Yeah. No one can save her. She's going to do it for herself. I think that's an interesting turn for her. So I'm very interested to see where she takes that next season. She's kind of backed into a corner. I don't know how she gets out of these charges from the International Criminal Court or Canada or wherever. Especially with Rita there now. Yeah. Mm. Now she's in trouble. Um, yeah, Rita, yes. knows, Rita knows things. Yeah. Well, and will Rita maintain her loyalty? I don't think so. I, I don't, yeah. you know. It's, oh, that's all I know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, because I found it really weird how loyal Rita was to her this season. I, I didn't quite understand how that shift occurred in Rita. To, to be they, so chummy? Yeah, they didn't explain mm. that very well. No. We needed that interview with Amanda to really 
get that across and that yeah yeah about how they bonded over grieving but yeah I found that so strange that was a really weird thing that like Rita was so nice to Serena this year did not like it and yeah yeah, yeah exactly so I, I reckon Rita might turn on Serena and Fred yeah I really can't tell it could go both ways like she may uh, no, I think uh, she, no, may, sure she, may, she may defend <laughs> Serena against Fred like I think that could happen too Either way, I think we're getting a reader backstory. Like when she's grappling with what to do, I reckon we'll we'll get a little bit of an insight. I hope we do. Yeah, yeah. that's a good point. That'd be awesome. Fred, time to talk about what is he's not a commander anymore, former commander, prisoner, prisoner, whatever number he is. Fred Waterford. You don't need to protect me. I am protecting this house. God has made me master of an incredible woman. I sent her away, Fred. It was my choice. I drove you to desperation. I'll fix this. Things will be normal again, Serena. Back to the way they were. I promise. No thanks, she says. Yeah. And she torched the joint right after <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah. Exactly, right after. But I love, so that grabs from episode one. And it's basically, it's all right there, isn't it? Exactly what happens at the end. He, he thinks he can protect her and he wants to protect her. And she's like, I don't, I don't need you, buddy. Leave me, I've got myself. But his, God, he's such a drip. He just doesn't learn, <laughs> does he? <laughs> his, his sexism really sort of runs the whole spectrum from like outright rapist to just like clueless drip, really. You know, he, he's, he's covered all the bases there. And if you think about his, um, <laughs> he's like the archetypal asshole. Um, <laughs> I'm really going to town on him, aren't I? Uh, but if you think about his character arc this season, I think it's sort of, if you were to visualize it, it's like a upside down V. So he starts sort of low in the first episode, betrayed by Serena. Uh, you know, when he learns that the baby was given away by her. And he has a brief high in the middle when he's in D.C. and he's feeling all schmoozy and he's had his sexy tango and Serena's back with his, you know, at his side and he's, he's contemplating a future with the elite in D.C. And, like, when they give that speech at, um, in, the, in the National Mall to all those handmaids, like, they're loving it. They're basking in the sympathy. They're, you know, they're there for it. So that's a sort of high. But then, obviously, he crashes back down when Serena, once again, betrays him in Canada. And so... He's kind of, I don't know if I've ever seen a character on television that induces less sympathy. And so it makes me wonder, has anyone ever felt sorry for him? Ever? Show no. of hands? No. No. <laughs> yeah. Right. So no, no point this season does anyone feel so, well. Well, I, just, I mean, I mean, as, sorry. No, no, go for I'm it. I'm going to be that person. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> you got a microphone, do it. <laughs> He's such a pathetic character that his patheticness draws pity, but... With, like he doesn't draw the sympathy that the pity I feel for Serena does. So I think he, he does draw pity from me, but it doesn't. It's not coupled with empathy or that right. sympathy at all. It's just like, oh, you're so sad. Yeah, you poor thing. <laughs> mm. Right. But I think he knows that too. I think in the woods when they had those disclosures when she was about yeah. to knife him, he, you know, he said things that give a little insight that he he knows he's not all that really. My favorite part was. Um, I guess the episode before with Winslow and we saw him, you know, he was going up the stairs and he was big man on campus showing off the high commander. But then over the course of that episode, he gradually was getting the wind knocked out of his sails. So that, that was nice. As in, that was your favourite moment this season? Of him, I think. I mean, oh. other than the big reveal of Serena saying, yeah, it was me. But that, i got to that, say, that's my favourite 
development all season long, him being turned in. I feel like I've been waiting three seasons for that to happen. Yeah. I was so glad when that happened. It was awesome. I just hate him so much. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, like I have, I don't feel sorry for him in any way, shape or form. And um, him being turned in is just, Glorious, fantastic, it's all the good things. Him being questioned by three women as well. Yes. Um, Yeah, so look, it's it's funny when, like, you really hate a character, but you actually do really enjoy watching them. Um, That's interesting. I hate watching him. Oh, do you really? No, No, I am. Like, I'm also here next year for for him to get, him to feel very uncomfortable on that um, stand and to have... Lots of women say their truth to him because he hasn't had to face any of it. That's the great thing about being a commander, I think, in Gilead. You don't actually have to face anything bad if you don't want to. You just get to be the one that does it or you get to be the one that orders it and you don't have to see it. So I kind of like – like I really liked um, last year when – Moira held up a sign to his car and said, my name is Moira, not Ruby. And I thought, yeah, you have to see her now, mm. you know, look at her. And so, yeah, so I, I'm ready for that for next year. I'm so glad that he got captured. I'm so glad that he and Serena are now caught because, yeah, I've been waiting for that. <laughs> Do you know what I, I wonder? I mean, obviously with him gone, Winslow dead, and we'll get to Lawrence, there's obviously a power vacuum at the top, which we can talk about. I think that'll be a really interesting thing to see how it plays out next year. But I also wonder if he's going to start to trade more higher level information in in return for like better treatment in Canada. I don't know if that's possible, but like I wonder if he's going to start to dub in Lawrence because he's oh, already yeah. had his eyes set on Lawrence. Uh, so I think, yeah, it'll be interesting. There's- I finally finished reading the book. It's only taken me three seasons, but you know. <laughs> was way beyond that now. <laughs> Better late than never. Um, and it was really good, by the way. Um, <laughs> Rumour has it. <laughs> Tell your friends. <laughs> like, it should win some awards. Um, but I didn't realise how Fred ended up in the book, and it makes me happy. Can I, I'm, sure, I'm assuming I'm not spoiling it for anyone. <laughs> Fred dies. <laughs> um, yeah, Fred, Fred, Fred dies in Gilead, so I hope that... I know we're off the book now, but I hope Does we get that, back on it for that. Does that mean he's going to get extradited back to Gilead then? Well, yeah, I wonder. Or if we sort of shifted a bit. Now we've just been inspired by the book, like are we our own... So maybe he'll just die in Canada, but he'll still... Yeah. He won't survive to the end of next season, maybe. Yeah. I was thinking also, we saw Serena's mum this year for uh, that... She had some. Uh, I love seeing her mum. She was awful. <laughs> she was good. Yeah. You, I mean, yeah. it made sense, right? There. Yeah. yeah. Um, it makes um, so much sense now. You go. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I want to see Fred's mum. Oh my god. <laughs> That's amazing. I've never contemplated what his parents would be like. I can actually tell oh, you. Man. I think. <laughs> in like, I have in my mind who um, Fred's mum is. Oh, tell us. What <laughs> is it? It's um, Bunny from Sex and the City. Ah! <laughs> Oh, and that sounds so right. It's like this like disturbing image that like she's going to watch him having a bath or something. Aww. It's going to be so gross. No, that's Lydia. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she does that. That's so creepy, but that's so right. Yeah, I love he... it. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, <laughs> is that all on Fred? I think it's probably a good point to uh, Yeah, to bye, Fred. Bye. Bye, Fred. Yeah, bye. Too bad, so sad. Um, so, Lawrence now, I guess we'll move on. Speaking of the Waterfords, you really mucked up that house, didn't you? Fred demoted, Serena defingered, baby, baby napped. You left the place literally in ashes. Do you think they got what they deserved? 
No one in Gilead gets what they deserve, sir. How could they not realize how transactional you are? I did what I had to do. You think if you get me to like you, I'll help you? I think that you might try. Mm. I love that interaction. Yes, good. Hey, uh, Nat, I know Bradley Whitford fan, you know, confessed. Yeah, like it makes it really hard for me because I've enjoyed every minute he's been on screen this season to the point that like I really want to see him again a lot next year. But he's an awful character. Like he's just, he's a terrible, terrible man and I should not like him as much as I do. So I feel very conflicted about it. Do you like him more now he's helped uh, his house? Really We're good. all meeting at Lawrence's at midnight. It's a really good question, right? Like, is he actually a hero now? And he did help Emily leave at the end of season two. And now he has, I'm going to say sort of helped. So I am, I'm not willing to call him a hero yet. That's clearly, that's just June and her fellow handmaids and, and Martha's. He was just, it was just so shit at this plan. Like, like to me, he's this guy, we've been trying to figure him out all season. And I think we kind of have now, which has actually been really enjoyable. But he's just a guy who I just think has never had a problem in his life. Like, I think that he probably grew up with money. I'm sure he went to a really nice university. Everyone thinks he's just this genius. I just don't ever think he's ever been held back or oppressed in any way, shape or form. And it was really obvious that he's enjoyed his status in Gilead. And even though he's, I think, felt bad, and certainly his wife did, about what he's done... I still think he's just got that, he's got that empathy gap. He still c- kind of can't figure out how bad he really is. And um, that's why having June in that house has actually been amazing because when this plan came around, he really did nothing. Like as soon as, as, soon as his life was potentially on the, like, on the line, he ran. And then when that didn't work, he came back and then he tried to stop the plan. So like he's really, so he's not a hero yet. He's kind of done nothing. Other than, like, read a book, you know. <laughs> well done. <laughs> so, yeah, look, I'm conflicted because um, I really like him and I've, I've actually enjoyed getting to know him and sort of deconstructing him and, and seeing him undone as well this year as we did. I don't know if he's coming back for season four. I hope he is. But the question is, I think like, he's an intriguing character for me for next year. Will he be a hero next year? He's now, he's now seen how it's done. He's now seen what it takes. He's had like a real up and close lesson in that. And the fact that he's staying means that he really has a chance to make some big changes. He sort of alludes to that then when he says, I'll stay to fix, um, what is it, clean up the mess? Yeah, I, you know, I don't have a lot of faith in that. And I don't think that the Handmaid's Tale generally makes heroes out of the men. So yeah, for sure. Mm. Still want to see it though. Hmm. Yeah, I'll be interested to see if there's any fundamental change in him because, like you're saying, he, he is he's, a, he's an economist. He's always been incredibly removed from the numbers on his page. And when June comes into his household, she kind of, in a way, helps him to reconnect with the humanity of the situation. But, yeah, he never fully engages. He keeps trying to run at any moment. And now with June out of the picture again, we assume... She's not going back to the Lawrences. It will be interesting to see if, if he stays the course. You know. One of the lines he had this year that I really hated, like it, like it made me, like the show did make you hate him in the beginning. And it was, he told June that he loved Hannah more than she did because he was trying to build a better world for mm. her. 
And I just thought, yeah, like that, which was like a real sign of like, even though, even though he had some misgivings about what he'd done, he still believed in it. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, we call him an economist, but the whole economy's run on labor and slave like, labor. Slave, slave, so slavery, yeah, like yeah. he's not just an economist. He, like he, all the the finance is actually people. The numbers on those pages That's are people. The people in the cages, you know, are those numbers. So. Yeah. <laughs> I agree with an earlier point of view, Natalie. Um, I find him an absolute joy to watch. Like, even though he's horrible in his own way, he's such a joy to watch on camera in a way that Fred, to me, never is. But I don't know that he's going to survive to the end of next season. Like, I think he'll be around for a while, but I think they're coming for him. Like, I think they're going to find out that this plot was hatched out of his house and he didn't stop it. And, you know, I, I think his days are very numbered and we're going to see his demise at, you know, some point. I think Next season. That, yeah, I mean that Martha sure knows where she was going, and she well, got exactly. caught. Well, exactly. So yeah, that's the thing. I think it comes down to that Martha, though, because right now there is a chance they could get away with it, and I only say that because um, they don't have a child in their house that escaped. So basically, anyone whose child is now missing, the Martha in that house is in real trouble. <laughs> um, yeah. But they don't have a child missing from the Lawrence house. But how do you explain your shot handmaid? Why does she have a bullet wound? <laughs> well, just like, like, I thought, like, I thought it was weird this season after she got beaten up and she was still walking around and everyone could see that she was beaten up and no one asked why. Wait, who? <laughs> like, after she um, killed Commander Winslow and she oh, yeah. was all, like, she had a, a graze on her neck and cuts on her face. Do you mean the man who walked down the hall? No, um, the next day when she, oh, was, right, okay. when she was serving tea for some commanders okay. and then she even went out to do shopping, no one at any stage asked her, A, are you okay? Or like B, what happened? What happened, yeah. yeah. So I just don't know that they care. So maybe they won't, it depends how bad this shot is. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe he could say he shot her, and that would be, you know, an okay thing to say in Gilead amongst the commanders, <laughs> I imagine. So maybe that's his out. But, yeah, I think his days are numbered. Maybe. Um, one person who might notice the gunshot is um, Aunt Lydia. Stop that nonsense. I'm sorry, Aunt Lydia. Praise be. What a glorious day. <laughs> I mean, they're all gold, really. So, uh, yeah, that, that one just then. Um, because, you know, she did notice... Something was amiss with, with the handmaids and she did one of her veiled warnings um, to June. It's in your own best interest of Joseph because your next commander will not tolerate any of your subversive nonsense. I shall keep the subversive nonsense to a minimum then. Back to your duties. Watch yourself. Yeah. How do you think Lydia's going to uh, take I to think she's, she's in danger too. And I think, I mean... And Dowd, I think, has talked about this in interviews since the, the finale premiered. She, she reckons her character is potentially in danger as well. But yeah, they, they, would, they would potentially hold her responsible for this massive calamity with her handmaids who just cannot fall into line. Mm. Because she didn't get any... There was no real consequence for her when she went to town on Janine at the... Um, no. The after thing for the baptism. You know, they were, she was beating up a handmaid in front of all of the, the well-to-do of Gilead, but... I mean, they're used to that. But here, yeah, this there are children missing and it's on Lydia's watch. And it's like she hell? is obsessed with those births and she's obsessed with children. Mm. That is her job. That's her core job. And I think she's had a series of failures, which um, Commander Winslow made clear because he was already upset that they weren't wearing rings on their mouths. 
And he even made a point to make about how, like, these handmaids cause trouble because that's where the bombing was. So, yeah, she's kind of she's kind of failing at her job right now. Um, so, yeah, I don't know how long she's going to last. Oh, I hope they don't kill her, though. I love her. Yeah. In a weird way. Why do I love her and not Fred? Yeah, no, I hate her. I mean, I love her. If they kill her, we're going to run out of antagonists in the show. <laughs> They're either in Canada or yeah. on the wall. Um, with Lydia, I mean, we started the season not knowing her fate really after that epic finale last season she was you know the holy roller and the hell on wheels when we saw her in her um when she was recuperating but she bounced back but then of course we got the backstory mm. this year which i was very excited about but we did see how she deals with shame and how she reacts in that moment when you know the date gets a bit weird but what happens how she how does she feel shame when things are really not going well in gilead and it was on her watch Lydia and, and June have kind of synced up a little bit in this season. That there was that moment that they had in Washington. Is there any chance that Lydia might find a reason to help protect and hide June for her own protection? Because, yeah, it might be, suit her to not have the culprit revealed. Potentially, but, I, but it's still 52 children gone. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> she might be able to cover for June because she doesn't want June to be... Seen as the one that orchestrated but That was the Marthas, not the handmaids. <laughs> this is true. Yeah, I don't know. We might put that one to uh, the audience as well. <laughs> what about Nick? What about Nick? And of course dun, dun, I'm looking dun. at Sana and Natalie. What about I'm Nick? Really Just keep worried. saying his name. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what to... I don't know. Is he a goodie? Is he a baddie? Can I still love him? Is, Can I, is he just a guy? Never, never like, stop that. You know, like, Never stop what? The love? Loving him, yeah. <laughs> well, it's I great. truly... Because I, I think I only... I really love him, but I love him in relation to... <laughs> hear me out. Hear me out. I love him in relation the husband's to... husband's here, by the way. Shout out to the husband. <laughs> I love you more, Ben. I swear. Um, I love him in relation to what he provides for June. You know, like, she is so alone and so... Um, you know, treated with such violence and, and horribleness. And he was her one bit of love and kindness in, in this world. And she so deserved that. I so want her to be happy. So I love that he provides that for her. And so if, if it turns out that he's actually, you know, been evil all along or, you know, like done something really fundamentally that is kind of unforgivable, then I don't know that I can love him still anymore. But I, I, I look, I'm the optimist, remember? So I still think that he's good. When we first met him, he was a chauffeur and an eye, and but then also he's been a bit of a a double agent in a way. I, th I think he's part of Mayday as well, and I think he's fooled Fred and Serena very, very well so far. So yeah, I still don't think that he's going to turn out to be a baddie at all. I do think though, this is the part that makes me sad. I do think their relationship is over. I think they said goodbye to each other yeah. this season, and I'm still annoyed that we didn't properly get to see it. That they like shut that door on us. <laughs> I know. Oh, oh my so. god, that's all I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> would have been amazing. So um, I think, yeah, I think, I think that it would have, and I think that they have said goodbye to each other. But that doesn't mean that she can't get a different love interest next yeah, year. Yeah, exactly. Apparently, they shot more scenes of Nick with Max Minghella. It just didn't sort of fit. In so there would have been a few more. That's there would sad. have been another <laughs> sad face. Yeah. Um, with Nick, you know Max Piccolo is objectively handsome. That's it's not about him, but the story, the character. Yes, of Nick, he is. Yes, yeah. the, the tell us more. Yeah. <laughs> um, the character of Nick, he did help. He was useful for June in those first one and a half seasons when she was trapped in a house, raped on a regular basis, had 
no hope really. We were st- she was still sort of getting to know the world as were we. It was all boxed into that weird house for, the, for those first um, season and a half. So she needed something and Nick provided that. So he was kind of a way for her to have some degree of agency in this world that denied her any. I don't see him doing much more than that. Like, he, like at the end of the seasons, he, the last one, he put the hand on um, Fred to stop him. So that was his role. I think we might get something, but I don't think there's going to be a big reveal about him. I'm not buying. I guess I, I had an idea for season four for him. I am curious about his war history background. Like apparently he was part of the that big Gilead war that happened. I'm not saying I want heaps of him next year, but Rita's son was also lost in that war. And I would I would actually would like to see that. I think I think we missed that this year because like in season two I enjoyed that they sort of went back and you saw sort of how Gilead came about. And we didn't see so much of that this year until this final episode. And it is horrifying. Um, and I actually would like to see the war, which they've mentioned now a few times. And so if he was in it, I wouldn't mind a flashback to see some of that. That's good. I think I agree with you, Fiona. I think June doesn't need Nick anymore. Um, she's changed in such a way that you know, she can go into the Gilead world and does, does not need that relationship anymore. So it was just very con- convenient that at that point we found out that his past was maybe not as clean as we thought it might be. Um, but I also love the potential for Nick's character, if he does stick around in future seasons, for his character to take us to Chicago and to see the rebellion and the uprising that's happening there and the front line and his role in it. And that's all very exciting for me. I, I don't know if we'll go there, but I'd love... I'd love to see some of that. Mm. I think we have a question or a comment or an observation. Um, hi, big fan of the podcast. <laughs> I will identify this gentleman. Oh. Uh, he, he is our former producer, Dan Barrett, who helped launch the show. <laughs> yeah, round of applause. I've been thinking a fair bit about June with the fact that she's brutally murdered people this season. And I was wondering how you sort of feel about the fact that you are championing this character of whom, obviously, you got a lot of sympathy for. She's been through a lot of, you know, a lot of business. Uh, but this season, we've seen her engage in some very brutal acts, both from actually physically murdering someone, as well as a decision not to try to save the commander's wife as she was dying from a, a pill overdose. Um, how do you resolve that when you think about her as a hero of the series? I was going to say, it's actually... Hi, Dan. Um, Hi. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually like a really interesting question to go which hopefully we will never get the answer for ourselves which is when you are put into an extreme situation and this is incredibly extreme who will you be how will you respond what are you actually capable of and we see in the show that people are capable of really really bad things and so look I don't know if I'm just being blind about it that I'm sort of forgiving June because yeah I I think that sometimes you have to make horrible decisions and you do horrible things that doesn't necessarily make you a horrible person it makes the circumstances really bad and I think we have plenty of examples of people who are um, quite sadistic and enjoy hurting other people and enjoy the power that they get out of that I think we see that in this show and June is not that at all I guess what I do hope with that we see next year is she has now like killed some people uh, you, I don't think you can you can do that and just write it off. Hmm. So I think she will be have to sort of pay for that somehow next year. Yeah, I think the scene in Lawrence's house in, in the finale here where she's sitting at the table staring at the gun, reflecting, and then, you know, cites the body count, it's weighing heavily on her. And I think that's part of the reason she hasn't left. Like, she's thinking it's not 
you know, it's not, I'm not going to just jump on that plane and see you later. I'll try and get Hannah remotely. You know, she really does feel the cost, feel the burden of having, having committed those acts, I think. Natalie, I'm with you. That's how I rationalise what she's done this season. She's in a situation beyond her horriblest dreams, you know, like she's in a really, really bad place and she's doing what she needs to do to survive. And that's sort of, you know, the Winslow murder. I'm not so sad about that one. Oh, that's fine. That That's one's great. okay. <laughs> the wife, that's I'm ambivalent about, Mrs. Lawrence. The other's bad. Her role in the, you know, Hannah's Martha being killed, you know, horrible. But yeah, I, I think she's doing what she's got to do to survive. And she's, you know, acting the way she is because of the circumstances she finds herself in. That's how I rationalize it. Yeah. I mean, unlike the commanders and the wives and everyone who helped establish Gilead, she didn't initiate any of this. She's just reacting to it. And that's gives her a free pass <laughs> we're being very opinion. kind just keep killing exactly keep killing. yeah well you know lydia did the whole is it the apple is it the barrel thing yeah in whatever that episode was um and uh in canada uh moira and emily were reflecting on the crimes they committed in gilead which you know when they're in gilead you kind of have to do what you have to do so that i'm not quite sure what it says about me but my favorite part of the whole season was when she killed commander winslow <laughs> So, so yeah, maybe I'm here for the brutality. <laughs> very cathartic. That was great. I agree. It was great. So much about it was. So what does it say about us as viewers? Yeah, we're like yeah. cheering the murder of people from our main girl. We've, yeah. you know, we've been well, through yeah. this. Yeah, they're not. She's not just randomly doing it. They're, as a little it. aside, did anyone else hear the law and order dun-dun every time he walked into the room? Because I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah, yeah. very much. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to rudely ask one more question, just as the line starts queuing up behind me here. Uh, with the fact that, obviously, there's babies being born in Gilead, and they're not necessarily all girls, so there's a strong female empowerment theme that runs throughout the series, quite obviously. Uh, but some of them are boys, and so, obviously, there's a lot of families, much like the Waterfords that we've seen over time, where they're desperately after a child and they want to raise it as their own. But you have to think, a lot of the child rearing is happening from the Marthas. And so, as the Marthas are suddenly having to raise these boys, of whom will grow up to be the monsters that run Gilead... Um, what are your thoughts maybe on the way that the Marthas are dealing with this? Because we haven't really seen it reflected in the show yet. I'd say, like, I'll just say one thing about that, um, which is the boys go to school, I assume. At the very least, the commander's kids anyway. I reckon they would be going to school and learning how to read and write, and they've got things to do. <laughs> like, whereas there's a, it's a different life for the girls. I'm, I'm hoping the Marthas are implanting seeds of humanity in the boys that they're raising. I'm hoping that's part of their sort of resistance in the house. Mm. I don't know. I think, you know, it was quite obviously boys and girls getting out in that one, so the Marthas are clearly mindful of what the future holds for the boys, like, you know, their little charges. There's relationships, obviously, you can tell between the Marthas and their charge. The one here, you know, she calls... We've got three names for um, that lovely Kiki, little girl. Kiki, Peanut, Peanut is, the, is the nickname, and Rebecca, her dad, yeah. calls her in the end, yeah. So, you know, they have bonds, and I think the fact that there are boys on that plane too... They realise it's not going to be a great future for, for them. Back to your comment about the Martha's Dan, uh, it kind of goes to the question of at one point, do these children stop being innocents and start being complicit um, in Gilead? Which is a really difficult question to answer. I don't know if I can do that. But uh, it did make me think about the idea that we talk a lot about this show being about female empowerment and we're talking about the women and how they're being treated and not the young men in Gilead. And it reminded me that there has been some criticism of the season 
of the of the series having a paradox where it's about female empowerment but relies on its main character or characters remaining in servitude for the series to continue and i think that we get it we actually get it wrong when we think that the show is about female empowerment i don't think that's what it's about i think it's about subjugation it's about female subjugation and the subjugation of the children in Gilead as well. And it's about what happens if we become complacent about politics, about feminism, about fighting for human rights and equality. So it doesn't it doesn't matter if June becomes empowered, if she eventually escapes. You know, the, the show is making its point now, and the point is about subjugation, not empowerment. Um, hi. Um, I have a couple of queer theories I'd like to run by you. Um, <laughs> queries, if we say. So the first one is, I'm pretty sure that Rebecca is gay because she says, what's it like out? Which to me was like, woo. Um, then her name is Kiki. I mean, come on. Um, on top of that as well, she's really fixating on like, what can I wear? How, like, how can I present myself to the outside world? All this kind of stuff. And then the first person she sees when she gets to Canada is obviously a very outwardly gay, queer woman, which to me kind of like closes that circle really nicely. So I'm really hoping that that's her story. My other query is um, Aunt Lydia. I think Aunt Lydia is actually a self-hating lesbian. And... (laughs) I think that comes from, when you see in her backstory, she's talking, you know, obviously she's got this guy and there's all the shame associated with premarital sex, but is it shame because it's premarital sex or is it shame because it's a dude? Um, There's also some, she's done some weird stuff with the handmaids, like watching June bathe and a few other things as well, but she also does have that weird love that's kind of just a bit barrier crossing. So those are my two theories. I'd love to hear your opinions. Um, on the first one, uh, did you tweet that thread? Are, are you Caitlin? No, no. Okay, <laughs> I saw. I saw one. Um, I yeah, saw I saw one, that tweet. Yeah, the, I, yeah. I, I like those theories. I, I, I saw that one happening on Twitter as well. I think it's some good points, really well well made about Rebecca and her, the questions she asks. The fact that obviously this woman is the first person who comes off onto the plane would be the first person you lock eyes onto. But it's important that it's Moira in a lot of ways. Yeah, I, I'm willing to. And there, isn't there a comment that maybe June makes to Joseph about, you know, when Kiki grows up, are you going to allow her to be genitally mutilated and things like that, which is what they do to gender traitors. So that's another kind of oh, allusion to that possibility. Yeah, I think it's a really good... Theory. Yeah, I, I, it hadn't occurred to me, but once it's been spelled out, now I'm kind of like, that's very plausible. But I couldn't tell you yes or no for definitely, you know. I really hope that Lydia is not gay, though, because she's just so awful. Like, no one wants her on their team. Like, just... Leave it at that. (laughs) Hi, another question? Yes, so we're all sort of just speaking about Aunt Lydia right now. Um, But something that I sort of saw in her when she first, especially in this season with um, her backstory and everything, I never appreciated her as a character. I always thought she was just terrible and awful and horrible and all that stuff. Um, but I feel like we're getting a lot of like depth to her character. Like, you see a lot of moments of kindness with her and like just different handmaids and things like that and just like nurturing side. Um, and so I was wondering if you guys 
head like ever reassess the way that you saw her or if you're, are you pretty like stuck on like no she's the worst kind of a thing <laughs> no I love I love how complex Lydia is like you know um it's the fact that she is so warm and she I think the fact that she took Washington so personally um I don't think it was literally just the fact that there were the rings because she did cut a handmaid's tongue out so it's not that the idea of silence is so wrong for her. I think it's the blanket application of that. And I think, you know, she sees the girls as individuals. So I think for, you know, some of them probably in her eyes, not mine, um, deserve that. But I just think to see it as a broad policy is what terrified her because to her, they are her girls and she really does see them as such. So, yeah, I, I see that complexity in her. And I, I, I find her fascinating. I love the way Andout plays her. I mean, it's just so incredible, the warmth. But then she turns and she's terrible. <laughs> I love that she seems to be one of the only uncorruptible believers in Gilead. Even though she has these moments with the various handmaids where she sympathises with them and is almost their friend, you know, she really honestly... like believes in Gilead and believes in what it's doing for those children and unlike the commanders and the wives who are all willing to bend the rules when they can like she she just seems uncorruptible to me I don't know she's interesting in that way I feel like she's that way just because that's how she can justify to herself how awful she is like that Mm. if she can tell herself that she actually loves and cares about these girls then she is giving herself a pass to do whatever she wants and I would say that maybe um, why she was so upset about the rings is maybe because it wasn't her idea, you know? <laughs> like, she's just... Um, she thinks that she's in charge of those girls. She wants to be the boss of them. She doesn't want these guys coming in and telling her how to run them because that's her job. So, yeah, I, I really love the backstory and I really love that we um, found out a little bit more about her. But what... I think what this show is has been a little bit disturbing in a way that I've enjoyed, like, this year is that... Um, monsters are people too like we grow up thinking that monsters look like monsters act like monsters but actually they're human beings and they're not 100% bad all the time and I think you really see that with Serena and you really see that with Lydia so yeah so I my feelings to Lydia don't change I think that she's an awful person yeah but I quite like that she's complex it's good I'll just say that I'm very confused by my feelings about Lydia because I feel like I love her as a character. Like, she's so diabolical and awesome to watch. But I wonder if, like, meeting Anne Dowd sort of has coloured my ability to see her as just horrible because I'm like, she was so lovely. And, you know, in the, in the flashback, you know, she had glimmers of loveliness then too and not-so-niceness as well. But, yeah, I, I feel like I really enjoy her as a character and I shouldn't. So I don't know. <laughs> oh, you should, yeah. I mean, she's terrible. One thing we were sort of looking at as well was storylines that maybe didn't go somewhere and we were like, hang on, what, what happened with that? Do you guys have any of those? Um, we did say one before, like with that Martha plot that Lorraine, the chief Martha, that she was saying, don't muck this up for us. We don't really know what happened in the finale there. Hope to find out. Any other ones that you can think of? One minor one that's just coming to mind is um, when June agreed to organise for Serena to meet up with... Um, Luke and Nicole in Canada, when she agreed to make the phone call, she said, you owe me. You're going to have to owe me. And we never actually, I don't think that bargain was ever called in. So I I don't know why that wouldn't have been, because that was a big thing that she did. Yeah. That was one thing that went nowhere. Not a major thing, but. I don't know. Good one. (laughs) Do you have anything? Chicago. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, they kept mentioning Chicago and 
Never really saw thought it. we were going to go there. Yeah. Well, there is another season, so hopefully we do get there. One thing for me, there was that conversation Fred and Winslow had, and I said it on the pod and then nothing happened, so it was out there, but the idea of getting Nicole back but delaying that for some bigger, broader plan that I, I sort of read as cast the net to get all refugees back. I feel like now with a plane load of kids over there, they'll sort of ramp that up more, I think. But, uh, yeah, we didn't... Well, I mean, Winslow died and Fred bailed, yeah, exactly. so we... <laughs> Didn't really go anywhere, did it? But I wonder what um, Putnam and the other guy that got off Matthew's baby, whose name I can never remember. Calhoun. Thank you. Uh, they might be in on this as well because they're, they're sort of at the seated tables of power. Anyway, I wonder. Is there something? Hello. Hello. Firstly, thank you so much for your podcast. It's amazing. Aww, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Um, so an observation from me, I work as a crime consultant or a technical advisor, as they call them in the US. So the last episode, you guys always talk about your favorite moments. It's a really brutal moment, but for me, it's so telling in what the producers ask for from advisors or anyone who comes on when, um, June shoots the guard the second time. And it's a shock because she not only is splattered with his blood, but she's splattered with the gunpowder residue, which to me, it just shows the depth that the producers want to go through in this show to tell that story. And yeah, I'm just, I'm really grateful for it. And I I think what you guys do in your podcast is highlight just the little nuances that they come up with in in telling of colours and everything else. So that was my observation. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, there was a bit of criticism about this season and like, and I'm just a massive fan of the show, but I have a hard time criticising it because so much care goes into like, there's just into so much detail and everything is so well thought out and we try hard to um, find those things, but there's way more than we'll ever find and I appreciate that. Um, I really feel... Like, there's so much TV out there and I watch a lot of it and this really is a standout show for that reason. That's one of the things I love about it. Like, it's just... There's the story and the surface story, but then there's all the revealing character moments through the set design, through the shot frames. I mean, even in that last finale there, that scene of June with the gun and... um, Lawrence, all the commanders, Lawrence walks in, uh, yeah, you know, June's centre in the frame, she's recomposed, he's off to the side and a bit shorter and just, you know, the way they, you know, movie language, but just moments like that in big and small ways are so fascinating. Thank you. That was lovely to say. Hello. Firstly, thank you so much for putting on this afternoon. Um, But I have a question about if we could have a wish list of what we would see in later seasons. Mine would be a Radio Bunker Oprah scene. Yes. Yes, please. <laughs> I'm there for that. Yeah, yeah. That's just shot to the top of my list. <laughs> yeah. Totally. She's had two cameos now. We- yeah. I think we should ask to interview her next year. Oh, my yes. God. Yes. In person uh, at her place. Yeah. In Chicago. Yes. <laughs> That'd be incredible. For wish list items for what we'd like mm. to see. It's a very top-level one. I want to see June be happy one day. And I don't know that that'll happen, but... God, that's my like undying wish for, for that poor woman, for her to be happy, to be potentially reunited with Luke, definitely reunited with Hannah, because uh, that's all she's fighting for. But I don't know if I'm ever going to that I see one. that happening. Mm. Sorry. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> I, think, I think I've already given up hope that June's going to get to Canada, but I really want to see Hannah get to Canada and reunite with Luke. That's my hope. Yeah. I think success for June is in some way getting Hannah mm. out, but 
you know, being instrumental into the, in the fall of Gilead in some way. And, I mean, that was a pretty good one we just saw. But, um, yeah. And I, that's one thing, like, one thing for me in this show is the legacy of her mum, Holly, Holly Senior, who we get glimpses at. We've had a bit of backstory of her monologues are quite often dedicated to her or they're, you know, directed to her. We don't 100% know what her outcome was. She was in the colonies at some point when she, she was in the Red Centre. I just don't know I'd how like long. to strongly believe that she's still in the colonies and just raising hell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because, you know, this, this show is very much about being a mother of a child, but it's also about being a child of a parent and how, what the legacy of that, you know, the impact that has on you because, June, we've seen how hardcore Holly was, is, <laughs> is. is. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I just, obviously Hannah is missing that as a result of not having her mum in her life. But, yeah, I love that sort of generational idea through this show so like I think June didn't think that she was an activist because she was raised by one and she just didn't see that role for herself but clearly she is and I like to think that it's in Hannah's blood that um uh, if I could see Hannah next year I would be very very happy and um uh, yeah I like the idea that she could be the next June in a way to build her own resistance that would be amazing Hi. Um, just going off what, it, what one of the other commenters said um, about the visuals, I'm really interested in how the show creates these visuals of a dystopia. And I think it would be really hard to create that. But something that I noticed in this episode, it's really little, but the street names didn't exist anymore. And they were, I think, latitude and longitude points. Um, so just little things like that I find really fascinating in how the creators have, have made this world visually. And I was wondering what some of your favorite visual representations of a dystopia are in this series. Can I just say on, on the latitude stuff, the, the rabbit hole that that sent me down on Google when I saw that, because I was searching, because the, the town that they film in um, those, those scenes is Cambridge, Ontario. And uh, so I went straight to the, the street corner that I'm pretty sure it is, and it wasn't lining up, and I kept looking and looking, and it took, I didn't find it in the end. So I don't know where they got those longitude and latitude from, but it wasn't that street corner. <laughs> um, great question, though. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, because so much about, you know, totalitarian regimes, regimes is about erasing the prior history. So, yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't actually noticed that. It was a great pickup. I think a lot of what stands out for me is the Nazi references, of which I think we've pointed out a few, but they've been building up over the last few seasons, and there are an awful lot of them. And you don't make references to Nazi Germany lightly. I mean, we've had... Way back in last season, in the flashback, Serena had. I remember the, the protest at the university. There were students holding up signs, calling her a Nazi. And we've had a lot of the kind of set design has references to Nazism. The outfits that the aunts wear, the outfits that the commanders wear, the, the architecture in Washington. What else? The, the art plundering at the Lawrence's house. There's so much there. So, yeah, that's, what's, that's what stood out for me. Yeah, and um, Lawrence's office as well. I mean, I've been a braggy brag at this season about having gone on set and being in uh, <laughs> being in that house, and I thought I'd drop one there. But um, yeah, in the in the office, you know, they, they've sort of how austere that is. It was very intentionally trying to make it look like how they imagine kind of a Nazi uh, commandant's office might be. There was no reason for me to drop having gone on the set, but I just did anyway. Do it. Do it. <laughs> Sorry. Um, no. Do you have any? That's fine. I'm just so bad at the visuals. It's all, like, I think I say that every week. Like I'm just, I get so deep into the characters that 
I actually, like, I need the podcast as well. Like, so I just, I turn up so I hear um, what they think so I can go back and watch it again. (laughs) So I need it just as much as anybody. One thing that we don't see a lot of, which also is true of previous wars as well, is Jezebels and the idea of comfort women. We haven't seen a lot of Jezebels this season. Maybe because it's just horrifying. Maybe just because it's just it's just so upsetting. I don't know. Like to be honest, there's like a whole other show in that. Um, especially with that cleanup crew. Like that was a, that was amazing. Mm. Like, that was like one of my highlights. Um, there's so much more that could be explored. Like there's very rich material. Unfortunately. Hello. Hi. Hi. Um, a couple of things. First off, thank you. This is fantastic to be able to share this with so many and eyes on Gilead. And I got a fleeting moment of happiness that I thought I saw in June when the plane flew over. I just thought I saw, it was just that little fleeting happiness. I think there have been those moments in her life. And my question is, I know you love Aunt Lydia so much and you can forgive her perhaps many things, but I see her as grasping and hanging on to power and doing whatever it does because there's so many areas that a woman can be powerless, obviously, in Gilead. And that needing to hang on to power no matter what in her little world and so many of the other characters as well living their lives just grasping and hanging on to whatever power they can hang on to and I just wondered if you also saw other characters in that way and Aunt Lydia whether you can see her in that way at all. In terms of grasping yeah, power? Just, yeah. Probably Serena. Yeah. You know she's she's definitely trying to claw back what she lost um when Gilead became a formal sort of political entity. Your first comment on June, was it? Smiling at the plane going over. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, yeah, I think that was, that's her biggest victory today, isn't it? Like, I mean, getting, you know, getting Nicole out last season, but that was sort of, that wasn't her plan. That was something that was thrust on her and she, you know, took hold of that. But this was her, you know, something she organized and she fought desperately to have happen. And I'm, I'm glad, yeah, I think I, I agree. I think she was definitely happy then and I'm happy for her because, yeah, that was her victory. And when she says earlier in that episode that all those deaths that she that she runs off have to have been worth something, that's the point when she realizes that it has been worth something, that it's that it's worked, the plan's worked. Yeah, that's a line that's been repeated across the season, isn't it? This can't be for nothing. This has to be for something. So it yeah, it has all pieced together there. Yeah. Um, I would say that like um Gilead is completely run on power, so there's a desperate grab for it all the time and the stakes are so high that no one can ever actually relax because we even saw that someone like Commander Lawrence, who was a major architect, who Winslow says has done so much for Gilead, even he's not untouchable. And I think it's one of the reasons, speaking of Aunt Lydia, why they become aunts, I guess, because for survival, it just gets that desperate that what are your options really? It's kind of, if you can't be a handmaid, then you're either going to go to the colonies or you're going to become an aunt. And and I guess it says something about the personalities. It's all very revealing about who decides to become, to become what. But um, yeah, it's pretty. It's it's a pretty grim place. Which and all they like their their main currency is power. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and broadly on, you know, the topic of religion and politics in Gilead. I think you know when religion and politics step into the extreme of being fundamentalist, that's when power overtakes the purpose you know that's the point at which power becomes more central to someone's drive than the religion or the politics at the core of their belief um i've got an observation and a question 
it was interesting, I think it was in the most recent interview that you guys had with um, Bruce Miller, and he was talking about Easter eggs and how many you find and all that sort of stuff. And I got one this afternoon. It was really hard to see it, but because I was really listening intently, I got it. The moment when June pushes Rita, saying, get them on the plane, you know, you've got to go. And it, to me, it tied back into the end of season two, where Rita's pushing June out the door kind of thing with the baby. And I just thought, oh, just one of those little moments. And I thought that was amazing. And speaking of interviews, um, I just was wondering whether you guys are aware that Elizabeth Moss is actually in Sydney at the moment filming a movie. We know. Just, just we are very aware. We cried. Oh, I was just going to say, that would be the holy grail. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for the whole thing. It's just brilliant. Thank, oh, thank you. you. Thank, thank you. you so much. Hello. Hi. A quick observation about the Nazi symbolism as well. Earlier in the season where they were going into the church at the christening, I actually paused on, um, there was a sign outside the church of all the people, all the groups who weren't allowed inside the church. Um, it's really fascinating to go back and pause on because there's a whole lot of different, they're symbols, of course, not text, um, but one of them is the triangle that obviously symbolised being gay in Nazi Germany and that's something that's not allowed in the church, but there's a whole bunch of them that's really interesting to watch. But um, my other observation was about this episode where the first thing I thought of when I saw all the handmaids and the Marthas pick up the rocks and pelt them at the car was the scene a couple of seasons ago where um, the handmaids were supposed to stone someone but dropped the stones. Janine. Yeah. yeah. Janine, and she's there. And it just, that was the first thing I thought of and it just was a really beautiful closing of the loop as has been discussed here about when they choose to drop the stones and when they choose to take the stones again and sort of reclaim that action. And, yeah, as we've talked a lot about power today, the power of reclaiming that sort of thing. So that was just an observation that I loved. But thank yeah. you again. Thank you. That's great. I was just going to say, I'd love to, like, get an insight into how the writer's room works. Like, do they, you know, do they have a board where they're like, okay, we did this once, let's bring that back several You'd episodes later or a season yeah. later. You know, like, how do you keep track of all that? I would love to know how yeah, that yeah. operates. No, it's got to be like a spider wall kind of thing. Yeah, it absolutely <laughs> yeah. would. Yeah, and I think they're meeting again or they had a last, their first meeting last week or something yeah. for season yeah. four. So, yeah, it's underway. Hello. Um, I just wanted to say thank you for using our tweets at the end of the podcast and thank you for using my story in a tweet. Two Aww. episodes ago. <laughs> Thanks Thank for tweeting. Tweet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not big on Twitter, so it made me feel very good. A, a major theme of the show has been motherhood and what it is to be a mother, um, whether um, an actual physical mother or um, an adoptive mother or a surrogate mother or, you know, those types of mothers. One aspect that hasn't been addressed so far is the non maternal mother, mothers who walk away and it does happen um what are your thoughts on i can see something happening with olivia winslow in season four whether the i know that the the children are what keep them in power if you like but she doesn't have a lot of empathy she sh she did so show some at the beginning but when she walked through the empty house she didn't have a lot of empathy for that family at all and she mentioned um when winslow was murdered how can i be a mother with six children alone she was more she was thinking more of herself rather than the children so yeah. what will become of olivia 
You're good. That, that's good. Because <laughs> yeah, I feel like that she has all those, like they have all those kids as a Trophies. status symbol, not yeah. because that yeah. they actually love those children. And, um, and, and June was made to feel very guilty right back in episode one for even wanting Hannah when Hannah already has a mother. And certainly Joseph Lawrence seems to think that mothers are interchangeable as well. Um, but when you look at these commanders and their wives, if they actually believe in this Gilead system, what kind of parents can they really be, <laughs> you know? Um, it's complicated, but I always just... Like, one of the most anger-inducing scenes for me in the whole season was right in season one when June was at that Mackenzie house and the, and the mother was trying to tell her to stop now because Hannah's great. Hannah's fine. She said she's got, like, a good life here. You're confusing her. Yeah, yeah, you're confusing it. It was awful. So, yeah, it was a, they do raise a good question about what is a mother and what is a mother's love. But, yeah, that um, I don't think that the Winslows have it, whatever, whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know what her fate would be now. Yeah, it's a good question. I, I, I imagine she'll be forced to, or, you know, she'll be compelled to remarry mm. another commander who might have lost his wife. I don't know. But Lawrence I, yeah. is single. Lawrence yeah. is single. Exactly. And he loves true. kids. <laughs> he <Yeah>. loves them. <laughs> well, they're both widow, you know, widow and widower. So yeah. yeah. She just doesn't know it yet. Because I, I don't think there's a, you know, single motherhood is could exist in Gilead. I don't think that'd be allowed. Well, that's sort of what Serena's mum said. Hey, yeah. Yeah, she says, you know, there's no place for you in this world without Fred. Which, but interesting, because her husband is dead. Serena's father is gone. I mean, she Mm. mentions that. Mm. Serena mentions that her father is dead. But, you know, uh, her mother is past, you know, childbearing age, you know, and so perhaps because she's older, it's deemed to be okay for her to be on her own, because it doesn't look like she Mm. had a partner. Yeah. That speech from her mum was sort of... I thought a clue that Serena might come back and my terrible prediction that she might have been on the plane. I don't know what I was thinking then. We don't know why um, Serena's mum is allowed to live on her own, do we? That's not explained in the Gilead world. So clearly if you're a woman of a certain status, you mm. do, you are allowed to status live. Status and age, I reckon. Yeah. 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 Hello. Hello. Um, I'm a long-time viewer of the show but only new to the podcast, so thank you for Welcome. it. Welcome. Thank you. Um, as a person of faith, I'm quite struck by a lot of the faux spiritual language that's used in the show, lots of praise be and blessed be the fruit and all that sort of thing. But the, and I'm reflecting on something and I wonder what you think of it, the fact that some of the handmaids and the Marthas in the very intense moments... Uh, seem to be genuinely using language like God be with you and and things like that. And that really strikes me that they can go through all that sort of perverse version of God in that society and come out still possibly having some sort of faith. And I just wondered what you thought of that. I I love that the show has that nuance in it, that it doesn't just demonise all religion that it makes this clear distinction between what is fundamentalism and what is moderate normal faith and the fact that a lot of the characters do appear to be religious gives it that much more depth so I really love those little moments I loved the moment last season I, I think when June is in the house of the Muslim family and she realizes that they are Muslim and they're hiding their religion yeah it, I love those moments I think um, it's really important that we don't conflate the two there was a great point, and you made it in the podcast, Hayden. We had to chop it, unfortunately. There was <laughs> someone was snoozing a little too loudly on your <laughs> chest. Um, but there was there was an element you called out. I don't know if you can. I'm putting you on the spot here, but uh, there was a something someone said 
was clearly false. And yeah, um, it sort of points to your question. Thank you. By yeah, the way. so like you said, there's all the um, kind of throwaway faux religious lines like praise be, etc. But um, yeah, I did notice in one of the episodes, I think it was the Washington one, that someone says what sounds like a line from the Bible. And I tried to work out where it had come from in the Bible to kind of look into its meaning. And I couldn't find it anywhere. And all I could conclude was that it had been made up by Gilead as propaganda to sound like a verse from the Bible, but just, you know, was completely made up. And I thought that was an interesting aspect of Gilead that we haven't seen before, this kind of propaganda religion that they're willing to make up lines from the Bible in order to continue to control handmaids. Yep, definitely. Hello. Hello. Um, Hello. Thank you for the podcast. I've been loving it. Thank you. So obviously throughout all these um you know, seasons, we see June constantly analysing and reframing what's going on. And if she'd been wearing the ring, none of what has happened has happened because she constantly uses the power of words to try and shift her context. And as I sit there watching it, I'm constantly astonished at what I know has been going on in her interior monologue and then the way she uses words to reframe and shift the the situation and I'm wondering what are some of your favorite moments where she just turns everything on its head and then like propels the narrative in a new direction oh dear (laughs) we might need some thinking music Jeremy (laughs) she's like a like Dexter's 10 seconds um she's a very skilled operator and I think that we saw that this year her ability to manipulate people and that sounds like an awful thing to do, but it's a, it's a survival tactic and she's doing it for good. That's why one of my favourite scenes was um, a little bit of the clip that we played of her and Lawrence together when we know how she feels and we know that she's fighting to survive. And I am frequently amazed actually that like, she really took it to him in that scene. She really accused him of writing esoteric books and and um, creating this shitty world and, and she was quite angry but we also know I, I found it interesting that she's she's so tactical all the time everything is always a tactic and I think Lawrence just sees her quite negatively for that but because we know what her inner monologue is we actually can empathize with her and I'm glad that she's doing it even even though to manipulate people is a horrible thing to do the flipping side of things there was that episode that we played the watching monologue from three I think it was the way that starts and ends, sort of it ends in a far different place than how it started because I think the end is we're watching them but I think she opens with what is it like to be a man in Gilead to be seen and it's sort of the male point of view but then by the end of it she's flipped it and it's, no, actually Hunter has become the hunted a little bit. So that was kind of one of my favourites. That's why we picked out that um, that monologue. That was a goodie. And also the way it led to this finale where she's, in the last couple of weeks, she's really just been like adopting the stance of a commander and copying his hands and really watching him to the extent that now she's usurped him in the household. Love it. The one that's coming to mind, and I don't know if it quite fits what you're talking about, but it, it showcases, you know, how clever she is and her quick wit, and I, I really loved it, is when she was in um, Jezebel's and she ran into Winslow and she's now cornered by him and he's asking, so what are you doing here and where is Lawrence at? And she, uh, at that moment, I was like, what are you going to say? And she comes out with, um, you know, he sends me here because he likes to hear about what I get up to. And I was like, oh, girl, you have it all. You are so smart. What a great thing to say. And then, of course, killing him was even better. But, um, (laughs) but, uh, you know, that she's, she's got really quick wit and she's smart and she's with it. 
Hello. Hi, guys. A question about motherhood in the series. Um, I'm one of those people that was very, very frustrated when at the end of season two, June chose to name her daughter Nicole and when she handed her over to the van. So my question is, well, number one, do you guys agree with that? Because I still see her as Holly. (laughs) And number two, do you still see Serena as a mother figure for Holly forward slash Nicole? Um, I don't because of her role in bringing, I guess, Nicole or Holly into the world. But do you still see her as filling a place as a mother for Nicole forward slash Holly? I love that you maintain the forward slash the whole way through that question. (laughs) Um, I'll I'll start by saying no. I've never really bought her as a mother figure because of her role in how the baby was created, but also that, you know, that's June's baby to me. And so I've I've never bought her feelings towards Holly. And, yes, I agree, June. I don't know why she named her, told um, Emily her name was Nicole. I think Holly's the loveliest name. But it does have the word Nick in it. I know, I know. But it's not the name that she chose. Yeah. (laughs) The only reason why I'm actually allowing it. Otherwise, it's Holly all the way. Yeah, it's a nod to the sacrifice of Serena and all that as well. But, yeah, it's probably more the the Nick. She did actually say this season, like, I named her Nicole for you. Like, she Mm. did actually throw that back in Serena's face, which was... Good. On the, I mean, we've had we had a conversation about this, but on the Serena stuff, like I, I do understand in a Gilead frame of mind how she, you know, considers herself to be the mother of Nicole slash Holly forward slash Holly. But you know, since she's quite so readily stripped herself of all Gileadian um, traits and clothes and sitting and has taken up reading, I don't know. Yeah, but I, clearly she still sees it that way. I'm I'm fine to let that fade off and see her on the dock now. Yeah, because I think that Nicole is free of her now. Like, I, I like that that wasn't um, left hanging. I like that June managed to free 52 kids or more. Um, but I'm so glad that Nicole is now out of Serena's clutches. My God. Speaking yeah, of which, I, mean, I think that was just baby Greta. By the <laughs> <way>. <laughs> that was baby Greta making a little noise back there. Well timed. Um, yeah, I've never, I've never seen Nicole as Serena's daughter, but there is no denying that that's what Serena sees her as and that that is the motivation that she's acting on so you know we may not agree with it but we can't ignore that that's how she feels yep um great questions thank you thank you very much so I mean that's kind of it for the season but uh we do want to remind you that if you do want to rewatch season three, it's all up there. The season three is in a box set at SBS On Demand. But, uh, we, you know, it's gone now. So, well, the new episodes have gone now. So we wanted to sort of recommend things that you can have a, have a look at while, while you wait. We each had a little idea of something that we might suggest you watch as you mourn the lack of any new Handmaid's episodes for quite some time. Who wants to just jump in first? Okay, I'll go. Um, in the Loop which is a film by Armando Iannucci, the creator of Veep and uh, The Thick of It. So if you're a fan of Veep, this is the film that came before that, and a lot of characters from Veep are in there. It's hilarious. It's about political idiocy, really, is what I'll say. It's pretty great. Heidi, why don't you go? Look, if you, if you like your TV drama with a, a nice dose of dread and prescience... Um, Look around, Heidi. Which I assume, <laughs> if, if you're here, you do... Um, <laughs> I'm going to recommend a show called Years and Years, which has has just been broadcast in the UK and the States and is going to be on SBS and SBS On Demand 
from the beginning of November, I think. So jot it down in your notebook and remember it. It's a, it's a Russell T Davies series. It's about a, a family in Manchester. Uh, it begins in the year 2019 now and then follows that family 15 years into the future while they navigate political turmoil, economic collapse, uh, environmental and humanitarian disasters, technological advances, everything that could happen does happen. It feels very real. It feels very prescient. It's terrifying, but it's anchored in this family drama, which makes it also in- incredibly personal. And it has the second most affecting scene in it that I've ever seen on television after the scene with Hannah and June last season in The Handmaid's Tale. So I highly recommend it. Years and years. Okay. In November. So put a pin in that and then <laughs> then watch in November. Natalie, what, what do you recommend? Look, um, I watch a lot of TV and it's a little bit sad that so much of it is actually from overseas. So when there are good shows made here, we should. I, I feel I should make the effort to watch them. So I'm going to recommend The Hunting, which is on SBS. <laughs> Um, I was just blown away, actually, um, by the way that gender, gender and power is discussed in a way that feels completely of now and relevant. So, yep, get into it. Yeah, enthusiastic response from the crowd there. And for me, uh, I'm a movie kind of girl, so a whole bunch of movies at SBS On Demand to dive into. Um, I probably can't go past the piano. I mean, Jane Campion's beautiful film... Baby Greta has some thoughts on that, but uh, yeah, that, that's available to stream at SBS On Demand, which is just a stunner. But also, we've just launched a brand new movie channel, World Movies in HD Free-to-Air TV. So there's a, like for female-centric storytelling, Thursday nights on SBS World Movies, uh, you can catch a double bill of films either by female directors or with really incredible lead performances by women. So go check those out. <laughs> Yay, incredible performances by women. So that's it for season three of The Handmaid's Tale, but we fully plan to come back for season four if you'll have us, but uh, oh, thank you, that was... <laughs> yeah. Thank you for taking that bait. Um, we also, we plan to come back. We thought, I mean, the release of the Testaments is a big deal. So we, someone said it on a tweet and said, why don't we do a book club? We thought, yeah, why not? So someone from my book club is here and she might laugh at that because I'm notoriously bad at finishing the book in time, but I'm going to. And uh, so the book is released on September 10. So keep an eye on the Twitter feed for Eyes on Gilead or we'll just drop into your podcast feed when it's done. Um, So look out for that. And uh, for other podcasts you might want to listen to in the meantime, uh, you might like to try the playlist. I'm also on that one. And uh, that one's about movies and TV shows that are worth your time. So in the meantime, you can find us on Twitter. You can find me at Anything But Fifi. Natalie, where can we find you? At Natalie Hambly. Sana, where can we find you? At Sana underscore Kadar. And Haiti. At Haiti Island. And there are multiple thank yous, and I do apologise if I forget anyone, but first up, Jeremy Wilmot, our audio mixer and editor extraordinaire, who's been doing it all live here today. (laughs) (laughs) And Australia's youngest podcaster, Baby Greta. Oh, She's done a very good job, too, considering. Yeah. yeah. Oh. <laughs> Daddy. Let's <laughs> go. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
And that's a good cue to all the husbands and partners that have helped us throughout uh, this season. Some of them are in the in the audience as well. And Nikki Roller, who you met, she was instrumental in getting this event off the ground. So thank you so much, Nikki. And Bridget Ryan, who I think is in, in here. Uh, yes. Look for where the cheers came from. Um, yeah, Bridget was the one who sort of agitated for SBS to get The Handmaid's Tale in the first place. So, you know, full thanks to Bridget. Uh, yeah, and um, to SBS and MGM just broadly for trusting us with The Handmaid's Tale to, to, you know, have a bit of fun with it, but also to launch a podcast around it. So thank you for your trust. Thank you. Look, I'm just going to go on a rant now. But um, thank you to everyone who sort of voted for us in the Australian Podcast Awards this year as well. That was incredible to win uh, Best Fan Cast. So thank you so much. But mostly... Thank you to these ladies here who it's just been such a blast to do this with you all. Natalie Handley, Sana Kadar and Haiti Island. It's, it's been real. And thank you, Fiona, for being our fearless leader, Commanderess. <laughs> <laughs> but mostly, thank you for listening and for making us, our little podcast, such a part of your Handmaid's Viewing experience. It's been just blown us away. And until next time, whenever that may be, don't let the bastards grind you down. You don't own me. to reset great minds is a podcast from sbs that guides you through different meditation styles from around the world listen wherever you get your podcasts